turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Who's worse, Kevin McCarthy or Matt Canada? Both of these guys have had people demanding that they be fired, and both of them woke up today wondering if today might be the day. And McCarthy, of course, uh, is the Speaker of the House. Matt Canada is the offensive coordinator for the Steelers. He has a job that more people in Pittsburgh care about than McCarthy's. Maybe they both are bad at their job. The question is, um, how does anybody on the outside really know? Uh, The Steelers' offense is terrible. Everybody knows that. But Mike Tomlin and all his assistants uh, and the players look at the game film every day. They know, or at least they think they know, whether it's the players who are not doing what they're told or it's the coaches who aren't telling the players the right things to do. At least they should know all that by now. 99% of the local sports media have decided that it's Matt Canada, Canada even though um, most of them don't really have a clue whether it's Canada's fault or the quarterback Kenny Pickett's fault or the offensive line's fault, for that matter, or for that matter, Tomlin's fault. McCarthy has had nine months to make a difference down there in Washington, but what's he really accomplished? Has he done as much as anybody uh, in his position with uh, the, the small margins could have done? Different Republicans in the House have different opinions. Most of the media, including conservative media, are saying Matt Gates is a bad guy for trying to get McCarthy removed. But do they really know any more than the Pittsburgh sports media and Steelers fans know about what's wrong with the Steelers' offense? And here's a question. What would affect the lives of people in Western PA more, um, a Speaker of the House change or an offensive coordinator change? Yeah, I'm leaning toward the offensive coordinator change, but what do I know? When we come back, a woman lost her job as the lacrosse coach at Oberlin College for saying only women should play women's sports and for talking to her players about how to deal with playing during their menstrual cycles, believe it or not. And a Major League Baseball player who was banned and lost about $50 million because of being accused of sexual assault has proof that the woman who accused him made it all up. In our second half hour, according to an internal memo, The White House is prohibiting senior members of the Biden administration from traveling to energy conferences that promote coal, oil, or natural gas. Daniel Turner of Power the Future will be here to talk about that. Stick around. Well, there was more transgender women in sports insanity today. Um, A woman by the name of Kim Russell was the women's lacrosse coach at Oberlin College. And as you probably know, uh, there are probably more insane liberals per square inch on that campus than there are in any place uh, in North America. I don't know if it was smart of her to do this, but uh, if she wanted to keep her job. But she had posted somewhere the crazy notion that women's sports should be played only by women. Imagine someone believing that. And, of course, she was called in for discipline hearings. At one of those hearings, she was told that she needed to stop talking to her players about how to deal with playing and practicing during their menstrual cycles uh, because that offended some of the women. She even brought in a woman who specializes in helping women with that, and the woman she brought in 
was an was a lacrosse coach teaching talking to the women about how to work through that. That's not something I can speak to with a whole lot of uh, credibility. So I'm going to take the um, the coach Kim Russell's. Uh, I you know I'll I'll take her word for it that maybe that was a good idea, but uh, apparently um, that offended some of the women. Uh, don't ask me why, but it might be because she had the coach uh, Kim Russell had made the assumption that. All the women on the team were, you know, women and had menstrual cycles. Eventually, she lost her job. We finished the season. I got called in for another meeting with the AD. And I was handed a letter. I was not emailed the letter. I was only given a hard copy. The letter was copied also to the assistant AD, to the director of human resources, and to legal counsel for Oberlin. The letter would be put in my personnel file and that I needed to change my behavior immediately. I sent them my response. If I am breaking university policy, please tell me what that is. Please do that in writing. And if you're going to fire me for breaking university policy, please do it now. Every day I went into the office, I felt like I was walking on eggshells. I didn't know what was going to happen. So when I started, I thought it would be the perfect place for me. Every time I've spoken up, I've been silenced, which to me is the opposite what I thought Oberlin would be. I believe that there are so many people who are afraid of losing their jobs that they are just going to do what they have to do to keep working. But instead of difficult conversations, the students will go to a higher up and not talk to a coach, a professor, whoever, and that coach is canceled, fired, that professor is fired because the kids' parents are paying the money and that's what matters. When it becomes a toxic environment and when I'm 56 years old, and I feel like I'm walking on eggshells and afraid to be me where I work, that's not good. It is scientific that biologically males and females are different, period. I don't believe biological males should be in women's locker rooms. Where's the Me Too movement now? What happened to that? Do I believe I'm at risk of being fired, of having a storm hit me? Yes. Am I ready for the storm? Yes. I have had the opportunity because of the women who came before me to play at the highest level. There have already been athletes who've had awards taken away from them, opportunities taken away from them, opportunities to compete at a certain level because someone else got it who's a biological male. It is my job to be a voice for everyone who is too afraid, who needs to keep their job, who thinks they have to stay in line and tow whatever line that is, who is stuck in the mob and too afraid to rock the boat. Because if I don't speak out, who is going to speak? Well, nobody's going to Well, A lot of people are speaking up, but uh, the amazing thing about this is that there were women on her women's lacrosse team who were actually in favor of her being disciplined. 
for saying that they shouldn't have to compete against men as long as women do that, as I've said here for a long time. They deserve no sympathy when a man comes in and ruins the competition or breaks one of their bones. Um, it's hard to imagine the level of brainwashing that it takes to get supposedly smart women to be this stupid. Uh, there's a story already in Maine, a uh, high school kid uh, who decided that he was going to be a, a, a girl, a female. Um, he, um, he ran in a, a women's cross-country race. He was ranked 172nd. They finished 172nd in his last race against other boys, and in this case, he finished fifth. So, uh, and the women, as a, as uh, again, as I say, and as I've been saying here, the women who ran in that race deserve no sympathy. As soon as he showed up, they should have all left. They should have let the kid run by himself and laugh at him. Just stand on the sidelines and laugh at him as he ran. Maybe run alongside him and laugh at him. Um, that's what they should have done to the kid. And then, you know, maybe his parents could have gotten the kid some psychiatric help or something. But that's, uh, that's where we are. It's still, it's still going on. When's it going to end? And then there's the story of Trevor Bauer, a really good pitcher for the Dodgers. He was suspended for two seasons back in uh, 2021 or 2022 uh, by Major League Baseball. He, is, uh, he was accused of sexual assault, uh, and he was in the second year of a deal worth $102 million. And Major League Baseball um, suspended him for 124 games, which is two seasons. Uh, yeah, 224 games. It was two seasons. Whatever. whatever came, almost two full seasons. Uh, after he served the suspension, no major league team would sign him because he was, you know, he was a sexual uh, abuser, assault. He was a sexual predator, I guess is the word. So today, Trevor Bauer finally released a video. Now, this video, you 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 can still get what he's saying here without seeing the pictures, but this video included screenshots of texts that were sent by his accuser, a woman named Lindsay Hill. It also includes in the video, uh, it shows her lying in, the, in, this, in his video, it includes a video that shows her lying in bed next to him the morning after, looking pretty happy. Listen. Next victim, star pitcher for the Dodgers. A text Lindsay Hill sent to a friend before she ever even met me. What should I steal? She asked another in reference to visiting my house for the first time. The answer? Take his money. So how might that work? I'm going to his house Wednesday, she said. I already have my hooks in. You know how I roll. Then, after the first time we met, net worth is 51 mil, she said. You better secure the bag, was the response. Uh, but, but how was she going to do that? Need daddy to choke me out, she said. Being an absolute whore to try to get in on his 51 million, read another text. Uh, then, after the second time we met, former Padres pitcher Jacob Nix told her, you got to get this bag. I'll give you 50,000, Lindsay replied. Her AA sponsor asked her at one point, do you feel a tiny bit guilty? Not really, she replied. Since then, her legal team has approached me multiple times about coming to a financial settlement. But as I have done since day one, I refuse to pay her even a single cent. Uh, in August of 2021, Lindsay Hill's claims were heard in court. And during those legal proceedings, critical information was deliberately and unlawfully concealed from me and my legal team. Uh, information like this video which was taken by Lindsay Hill herself the morning after she claimed she was brutally attacked, emotionally traumatized, and desperate to get away from me. 
Uh, and now we have the metadata, so there can be no dispute. Uh, it was taken mere minutes before she left my house on the morning of May 16th, 2021, without my knowledge or consent, of course. Uh, in it, you can see her lying in bed next to me while I'm sleeping, smirking at the camera without a care in the world, or any marks on her face. I think it paints a pretty clear picture of what actually happened the evening of May 15th and why the video was originally concealed from us. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, after hearing the evidence available to her, Judge Diana Gold Saltman found that Lindsay Hill had misled the court. She found her claims to be materially misleading. Uh, she denied her request for a domestic violence restraining order, and she found that no sexual assault or non-consensual conduct took place. Now, some of you might not know about restraining order hearings. I know I didn't, but uh, I've since learned that uh, it's extremely rare for a request for a restraining order to be denied because the standard of proof that you need to obtain one is extremely low. So you can make of that what you will. The fact is I was never arrested. I was never charged with a crime and I won the only legal proceeding that took place without my side of the story even being heard. Uh, and most importantly, as I've said from day one, I never sexually assaulted Lindsay Hill or anyone else for that matter. So I sued her, which prompted her to countersue me. Quite frankly, regardless of the outcome in court, I've paid significantly more in legal fees than Lindsay Hill could ever pay me in her entire life. Uh, and I knew that would be the case going in. But the lawsuit was never about the money for me. It was the only way for me to obtain critical information to clear my name. Uh, the discovery process in that lawsuit recently concluded, at which point uh, Lindsay Hill's legal team again came to us with another proposal to resolve the case. This time, however, they weren't seeking any money from me. Having received uh, much of the information that had been hidden from us, uh, a small portion of which I've referenced here, um, I was willing to agree to the terms proposed. Both parties would drop their respective lawsuits and neither of us would pay either side any money. Uh, I also retained my right to speak publicly about the case, something I have not been at liberty to do since June of 2021. So as of today, both lawsuits have been settled. Now, over the last two years, I've been forced to defend my integrity uh, and my reputation in a very public setting, but hopefully this is the last time I have to do so, as I'd prefer to just remain focused on doing my job, uh, winning baseball games and entertaining fans around the world. So today, I'm happy to be moving on with my life. And uh, what's Lindsay Hill doing? Uh, she's the person, the woman who accused him. Did you notice that he said that even as he's even pretty recently before he was able to finally speak about it publicly and release this video that um, Trevor Bauer, uh, he, she was still looking for money. OK, I guess this is getting kind of annoying. And, you, you know, I see that maybe uh, I'm not doing too well in court. But how about you give me a couple bucks anyway here and I'll go away. And uh, to his credit, he said no. And she's getting nothing. So now what should happen to her? Uh, that, that's a that's a big question that's out there, and I really haven't seen anybody with a definitive answer on it. Uh, I don't know what, uh, what whether I don't know how sh how um, what kind of jeopardy she's in legally. She accused a guy of sexually assaulting her. Okay, um, and that's a crime. That if the guy had been convicted of it, Trevor Bauer had been convicted of it, he goes to jail. So what happens to her for? Being willing to send a guy to jail with a big fat lie, also of course figuring that she was going to he, she was going to bank on the fact that he was going to spend lots of money to pay her to go away so that he could avoid uh, avoid jail. But that's out there a lot, and um, uh, there seems to be I don't know there seems to be 
something lacking there in the law if Lindsey Hill is still out walking around. I, I think she should do, do some jail time. I don't know. Forget the lawsuit. She, she, the guy, the guy. I don't know if, uh, by the way, I'm not sure that Trevor Bauer lost his money. Uh, he was suspended. I don't know if that was without pay. I, I, I maybe I could check that. But I, regardless, regardless, he, he um, was banished from his country and uh, exiled to Japan because of this creep, this woman, Lindsay Hill. So uh, just uh, interest, two interesting stories there, I think. And um, so here, and my, just finish up this segment here. I have time. Frederick Douglas Moorfield, Jr., uh, he's 62 years old. He's from Ar- Arnold, Maryland. Um, he was arrested. Uh, he is the, uh, what is he? He's an official at the Pentagon. He's, uh, he was a deputy chief information officer for command, control, and something else at the, uh, at the um, Defense Department. But this, this guy, um, who's working in the Defense Department, Mr. Moorfield, is charged with um, being involved in a dogfighting ring. Remember Michael Vick? Yeah. Uh, allegedly uh, charged with allegedly taking part in the ring, which she's fed, feds say operated for over 20 years. Uh, Moorfield and a 49-year-old guy named Mario Damon uh, Flythe faced charges of promoting and furthering an animal fighting venture. Uh, here's what it says. This is a guy who was in the Defense Department. The ring regularly trained dogs for fights, ran thousands of dollars in bets on the outcomes, and executed dogs that didn't die during the matches. That's according to court records. Um, and uh, they used this guy, Moorfield, and his buddy used an encrypted, an encrypted messaging service to communicate with others involved in the ring, which they nicknamed the DMV Board. Moorfield used the name Jihad Kennels, and Fleisch used the name Razor Sharp Kennels to identify their respective dogfighting operations. And they used their messaging application to discuss how to train dogs for illegal dogfighting, exchanged videos about dogfighting, and arranged and coordinated dogfights. They also discussed betting on dogfighting, discussed dogs that died as a result of dogfighting, and circulated media reports about dogfighters who had been caught by law enforcement. So, um, and they also discussed how to conceal their conduct from law enforcement. So this guy, Mr. Moorfield, a member, a, a, a person who worked in the Defense Department, uh, I don't know what the penalty is for him, but if I were in charge, he would be uh, decorated with some really nice pork chops, and uh, and uh, inserted into a cage full of some really upset pit bulls. I'll be right back. Well, uh, maybe you notice that there's been a big fight going on in Congress about the ridiculous, ridiculous amount of money being wasted by the government, which obviously goes on every day. Uh, lots of money is wasted lots of times on lots of trips with lots of people and their spouses flying around the world to go to conferences for who knows what. But according to an internal memo that was uncovered, the Biden administration will not and has not allowed senior members to fly to conferences that promote anything, uh, evil things such as oil 
natural gas, and coal. Daniel Turner is the CEO and founder of Power of the Future. He joins us now. Thanks for coming on again, Daniel. Oh, John, always great to be on your program. Thanks for having me. So um, this this memo caught your attention. <laughs> uh, they, they This has been going on since November of 2021, so two years. Uh, and uh, as recently as last month, according to this story, uh, updates uh, to the policy were released. So there's this is not something that they used to do. They're still actively doing it. Yeah, and, and the reason why it's very disconcerting is because uh, well, I'm on, it's disconcerting on many levels, but right off the bat, Joe Biden ran on telling us he was this foreign policy expert, right? He ran on uh, his his years as the Senate foreign relations chair, his relations around the world, and his knowledge of diplomacy. Uh, there's a lot of diplomacy in something as simple as an oil and gas conference, whether it's in Canada or in, in the in the uh, Northeast Atlantic. Uh, or in South America, or even in the Middle East. Um, so to say that there is a, an, an absolute ban on your uh, diplomats, on your uh, government officials, your your, administra- your senior leaders in the administration, there's a ban on them traveling to these conferences. Well, there's not a ban on them traveling to Iran to ask for oil. There's not a ban on them traveling to, to Venezuela or Saudi Arabia. Why would you single out this industry? And, and it really it, it continues this notion that he sees fossil fuels as the enemy. It is not just an industry he doesn't like, but it is an industry he is actively trying to destroy. And for all of America, but especially people in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, that's got to be alarming. Well, he actually ran on the promise of getting rid of fossil fuels. He tries to de- he tried to deny that, but uh, he's on videotape saying, I'm going to get rid of fossil fuels. So... Yeah. Why would you want to send your people to hear anybody say anything good about a fossil fuel? <laughs> it's this notion, once again, that, that there's never anything good about this industry, right? And, and uh, you know, it's, it's good when other countries sell us oil. Um, then it is good because it helps uh, keep prices artificially low all during the 2022 election. Um, so it was good to buy oil from Iran. It's good to buy oil from from OPEC, from from Venezuela, but just not America. So it, it is again. It's this bizarre understanding that we're somehow the bad guy. And again, simultaneously, he will get on Air Force One and fly to Delaware for the weekend because he wants to go to the beach. Heck, he flew up to Michigan earlier this week or the end of last week. It was for twelve minutes. 12 minutes he stood on the picket line with the UAW workers. Uh, there's a lot of fossil fuels involved in moving the president of the United States. And I've never seen him once curtail his activity because of his dislike of fossil fuels. So he hates the industry, but boy, does he love what it provides for him. Well, yeah, and he, uh, you know, Delaware isn't that far away from D.C. He could take uh, he could take a convoy of electric cars up there. <laughs> You know, that would be at least honest. Yeah. That would at least be a, be an example of him saying, I'm going to put my one, money where my mouth is. Um, and it's one of the things that, that that genuinely frustrates me about the environmental left is they do like to tarnish this industry. They like to speak very harshly about it or, or haul fossil fuel executives before Congress for these kind of sham hearings. Um, but in their personal life, they do love what it provides. Uh, I've never seen a fossil fuel enemy or, or a, a green activist 
I've never seen them forego a conference. I've never seen them forego a second home, uh, a vacation. Heck, next week, uh, next year, uh, month, excuse me, is COP28, the annual climate conference. I hope to come back on your show and talk about it. But you know, last year, COP27 in Egypt, 40,000 people attended. We can assume similar numbers, probably even more, because it's a further year from the COVID pandemic. 40,000 plus people are all going to get on planes and they're all going to fly to Dubai to tell us to stop using fossil fuels. It's amazing how none of them ever seem to be able to jump on a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and or, or as we've talked about here, or hold the, uh, the meeting in Youngstown, Ohio. And then, yeah. <laughs> or Akron, or, or you know, uh, York, PA. Some that's it's always seems like they always find pretty nice places to go that aren't cheap and are a lot and, and they are far away. Yes, and and they love they love the exclusivity of those places, um, and they're beautiful and they're wonderful resorts. Um, last year was Sharm El Sheikh. The year before that was was a resort in Scotland. Uh, we know about the famous ones in Paris. But, yeah, they never choose rural America. They also never choose Raqqa, right, or, or Bangladesh or, or Juba in, in the South Sudan. They, they seem to always prefer these glorious uh, European capitals or exotic Middle East locations that have four seasons. And if you're John Kerry, uh, the global climate ambassador of the United States, are you going to stay at a, at a Super 8 motel in Youngstown, Ohio? Heck no. <laughs> no. He's in the presidential suite at the Burj next month, I guarantee oh, yeah. you. Yeah. And so um, there's the billions of dollars that they are willing to send to subsidize the green uh, industry. How's that going? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, just look at your bills. Look at your food prices. Look at your gas prices at the pump. Um, we have been told that inflation will, well, it was, remember, it was transitory and then it was coming down. And the rate of inflation is decreasing, but inflation is still going up. And any, we, we talk about kitchen table issues in politics. Anyone paying a bill, anyone who's gone to the grocery store, anyone who, who's gotten their statements in the mail knows how expensive life is. And that's because we've made fossil fuels very expensive while giving hundreds of billions of dollars to wind and solar companies. And they're trying very hard to build wind and solar, but they're not going to build them overnight. Right? They're not going to build these enormous solar farms. Joe Biden tells us that he, he sees clean energy by the year 2035 or some absurd number like that. These things take a while to come online. They don't work either. Even when they come online, they're not really ever online. Um, but but we're, we're prioritizing all the wrong things right now. The American people are struggling. Fam- families are are struggling. Credit card debt is at, is at the highest levels ever because people don't have cash. So here's Joe Biden again subsidizing this silly winding uh, solar industry, really just benefiting China and punishing the American people in the process. We're talking to Daniel Turner. He's the founder and the uh, uh, CEO at Power of the Future. I think you made a good point here uh, on your website. You write, I call upon them at least to be intellectually consistent and honest. If Department of Energy officials are prohibited from attending events with fossil fuels, then they should be prohibited from using fossil fuels to attend their climate conferences. So that's a great one. Uh, and that means that doesn't just mean not, they, not allowing them to use gasoline or jet fuel, but they can't, I guess they wouldn't be able to use their. Any, any of the, their cell phones, their computers, 
all the other things that are made with fossil fuels. That'd be hard well, for them, wouldn't it? Big, it would, and that's the big lie the environmental left is telling the American people. They are telling them that we can get rid of fossil fuels if we just have wind and solar. But that ignores the fact that fossil fuels do so much more than produce electricity. Wind and solar produce electricity poorly, very expensively, intermittently. They can produce it at nighttime. I, I once talked about how uh, it was 5 o'clock in the morning and the solar industry in Texas was non-existent. And everyone made fun of me on social media saying, you idiot, of course it's non-existent. The sun isn't up. But you know what? Uh, I said, you, you're making my point. Aren't you using electricity right now? So where is it coming from? Right? Do we shut down our lives when it's nighttime, actually, Americans use more electricity at nighttime because that's when we tend to run our AC or our heat at the, at the temperature that we want because we're trying to sleep. And that's when you do a load of laundry or as we're being forced to buy EVs, that's when people are plugging in their EVs because they're home for the night. Um, so, so wind and solar do produce electricity poorly. But fossil fuels do so much more from, than that. The millions of products and rubber and plastic and biochemicals and, and, and uh, um, uh, medical equipment and, you know, all the products that you look around the room right now that are all made from, from fossil fuels, that's not going to be replaced with, with a wind turbine. Well, and then uh, this is a, a tweet that you put out, I guess, today. The U.S. has 17 days of supply left in oil reserves. Democrats blocked Trump from refilling reserves at $24 a barrel. <laughs> Today, oil is nearly $90 per barrel. Yeah. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, that, it doesn't. No, and this was, you know, this, this was the Democrats when, when they controlled the Senate, as they uh, do still right now in the, in the currently. Um, they said this was a big giveaway to, to Trump's oil buddies. They were not going to allow... Um, to buy strategic petroleum or fill the strategic petroleum reserves when oil was that low. Well, Biden has said that he has to start refilling them because he has exhausted two-thirds of the petroleum reserves to keep prices artificially low. It worked, right? He kept the Senate, so it worked. It, it solved the crisis that he had, which was losing control of Congress. Um, but now we are at a perilously low level of strategic reserves. But what's the price of oil? $90 a barrel? So, so now the American taxpayers are on the hook for, look, we, we, we bought it at 50, we sold it at 110, and now we're buying it at 90. If you do the math, that's not a great business model. That, that's not a, that's, no wonder why we're $33 trillion in debt. So how do you um, replenish the oil reserve? Where, where do they go to buy the oil? Yeah, the government buys it on the open market, and they've been doing this since we created the petroleum reserves in the 70s. And it buys it in small increments and slowly fills up the reserves so that we have several hundred million barrels of oil uh, all throughout the country. Uh, I'm, I'm sure sometimes listeners right now have driven past it. They know it's an oil tank. They don't even know it's part of the strategic reserves. It's very well placed. It's very well scattered. And it is for emergencies. God forbid there's a natural disaster. God forbid there's an act of war. And we need to move troops and personnel and food across country. Well, America uses 19 million barrels a day. If we're not producing it, which we're not right now, we're buying a lot of that. But if we're not producing any oil, well, 19 million barrels a day is going to disappear very, very quickly. So we have reserves for 850, 900 million uh, barrels. But, but we've 
gotten rid of two-thirds of it. Biden got rid of two-thirds of it, putting it onto the marketplace. And, and he did this for a number of reasons. One, he got to lie about how much oil was being produced because he just tacked on a million barrels, even though it's not an accurate number. We play fast and loose with numbers all the time. Just remember COVID. Um, and two, it artificially kept the supply of oil high, a million barrels higher. And it kept prices relatively low. Last year, oil around this time was in the, in the 70s. And, you know, you didn't like paying two ninety five a barrel a gallon for gas. But it wasn't as bad as what you're paying now. Well, the problem now is Biden doesn't have any more oil to take out of the strategic reserves. So now he has to struggle with very high gas prices. He knows it's going to come back and bite him in the election. So he needs something else. And whether that's indicting the president, whether that's threatening a new COVID lockdown, he's going to have to pivot to something. Have a uh, you have a little, another interesting tweet, and I, I've been to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, three or four times. I went there to ride on some evil um, internal combustion engine, I guess they are um, snowmobiles out there, and I polluted the air with those a few times. But I see now that they bought some electric buses out there, and it's not working out too well. What's that all about? No, it's not. And, you know, Jackson is um, probably not very typical of, this city, of the, the state of Wyoming. Wyoming, by, by all accounts, is the most conservative uh, state in the nation. I love Wyoming. But, I love being there. And, it, and it's a beautiful state, and I go there very often, and I'll be back there again in a couple of weeks um, because it's a huge energy state. Um, but Jackson is where California billionaires uh, have bought up their homes or bought second homes. Uh, they've, a lot of them have declared it their official residence because the taxes are way cheaper in Wyoming than they are in California. So Jackson Hole's become a little bit of a blue pocket. And what do blue pockets do? They pass these virtue signaling stupid laws, and they wanted an electric bus fleet. They spent $2 million on eight buses. First, right off there, the math should say that's bad. $2 million on eight buses, but they were electric buses, and every one of them is broken. And the company that makes the electric buses is bankrupt because electric buses are a failure. That's why they don't make electric buses, because buses need to carry an awful lot of weight on hills, in the snow, and, and electric batteries don't have that level of capacity. Yeah, it gets kind of cold in Jackson Hole, if I remember. <laughs> Also, they don't work in the cold. Yeah. Great point I left out. So the buses are all dead, and, and this is the green agenda in a nutshell. This yep. is the green agenda uh, taking over common sense. But it's the thought that counts, Daniel. Exactly. Uh, they felt good when they bought those eight electric buses that are parked somewhere out there, and people are riding around on regular old buses out in Jackson Hole right now. It's, it's hilarious. I love it. it. It's just ridiculous. And this is what happens when we have virtue signaling politicians or, or, and political uh, uh, policies, right? Uh, the green agenda, you cannot force it. You cannot force the technology faster than the markets allow. And by saying, let's make everyone have an electric bus does not mean electric buses are going to magically start working. Joe Biden hasn't figured this out yet. His entire administration hasn't figured it out yet. Daniel Turner, CEO and founder of Power of the Future. Always love to have you on. You always got good stuff, and I'm sure we'll have you back. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks for having me on the program. Okay, we'll be right back. Well, I'm glad uh, Daniel Turner and I got a chance to talk about 
Jackson Hole and the stupidity of uh, them buying eight electric buses, none of which are working right now. <laughs> um, because I gives me an excuse to tell you my Jackson Hole story. And as I told Daniel during, uh, before the break, um, I've taken several trips out there. Uh, the purpose for all of them was to go snowmobiling. So they were in January, right around Super Bowl, Super Bowl time. I think I was actually out there once during the Super Bowl, and, and uh, I watched the game. Uh, anyway, anyway, I was there, and I've been there multiple times. The idea was to go on snowmobiles. And one time I went with just two of my friends. Uh, another time I went with eight people, um, a- including a one woman, <clears throat> and we went 210 miles on a snowmobile. Um, and it's the best trip, I've, all of them are the best trips I've ever taken, most fun I've ever had traveling. And um, it was cold. <clears throat> but here's what the, the reason I tie it in with what Daniel was talking about, because we, we went the first couple of times, <clears throat> we went to Yellowstone Park. And you're riding on the roads in Yellowstone Park where they drive cars in the summer, cars, trucks, trailers, buses, everything, huge traffic jams. And the snow is snowed so deep that you're riding on top of the actual roads, but they're closed for the winter. And we would be out there for... I don't know, hour, hour and a half at a time, and not see one other snowmobile other than the group that was with us. So, um, the um, somewhere, somebody in the I don't know whose whose administration would it have been? Maybe it was still Clinton. I don't know. Um, somebody decided that uh, that it, that it was polluting the the environment, all the snowmobiles. So they re- tried to reduce the number. And they said you had to go with a guide, which should bores you to death because now, you know, it's your, people are bringing their wives. They're sitting on the back of the snowmobile. We were going 60 miles an hour through blizzards. That's what was making it fun. Great wildlife, all that stuff. So they, they, they showed pictures in USA Today, I remember, of these long lines of snowmobiles and said the, uh, the government's going to sh- shut it down. And all it was, those were pictures taken around Old Faithful of a bunch of old people riding around on their snowmobiles, not going anywhere. We went, and one on one day, we went 55 miles in and 55 miles back, 110 miles. That's the equivalent of going from here to Erie on a snowmobile. We saw two people other than the the, the three of us. and But they, they convinced people that the snowmobiles were polluting the environment. As I said, we were riding on the roads where buses, trucks, cars by the thousands go all summer long. And that's okay, but the three snowmobiles that we were on that went 110 miles, that was killing the environment. And by the way, we used to, we used to ride uh, through herds of buffalo, bison, whatever you call them. They would actually be standing on the road, and we had to go right through them. You go like two miles an hour, and you might want to make sure you don't annoy them, but they're right, you're right there. You can reach out and touch them. And they didn't seem to be all that bothered by the snowmobile. Buses and trailers and all that stuff, they, that's, that's a big problem. So that, just, that was a great example for me of the stupidity of the environmental movement. I'll talk to you tomorrow.